When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to Clash of the Titles, the podcast that normally sees two films with something in common. Go head-to-head to see which one does it better. But this week is a special triple threat episode. Because in the red corner, Jack Nicholson dances to Prince in 1989's Batman. Gentlemen, let's broaden our minds. Lawrence? In the blue corner, Heath Ledger wants to know why so serious in 2008's The Dark Knight. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) We're tonight's entertainment. And in the, mm, let's say, mauve corner, why not? Joaquin Phoenix puts on a happy face in 2019's Joker. For my whole life... I didn't know if I even really existed, but I do. I think it's very clear what connects these three movies, so let's find out which one does it better. It's Clash of the Titles. Release the Kraken! Hello, Clash Butters. I'm Alex Zane. I'm Vicky Crompton. And I'm Chris Tilly. He's back! How are you? I'm okay. I'm a bit upset, though. You cut me out of last week's show entirely. <laughs> I sat here and did my best. I'm not even on it. That's Very, how it Clever goes. editing, Alex. Clever yeah. editing. Orson that. Wells over there. What an excuse, though. I mean, we made it this entire fantastic fest visit <laughs> that you were somewhere else. You faked that Ryan Johnson <laughs> yeah. interview. That my, was great. My accent's good, isn't it? Yeah, his lawyers have been in touch. <laughs> So this week on Clash Pod, we are talking about a triple threat week. We are doing Batman, the 1989 movie, The Dark Knight, and the brand new Joker movie. So the connection is 
Chris, oh, sorry, you weren't here last week uh, where Vicky decided that we're no, <laughs> we're no longer guessing the connection. Did have, you know this? I, yeah, I listened to last week's show, yeah. which wasn't bad. Okay. And, um, <laughs> yeah, no, that's fine. That's fine. I mean, oh, no. there's been oh. a lot of weeks where it's been mm. very obvious, hasn't it? So it's, it's almost pointless us having that conversation. Uh, beware right. the man who says, no, it's fine. <laughs> yeah, I am burying a lot. Right now. So we're not doing guessing anymore. Chris. No, you can do the guessing. Don't make me Wait, don't villain. backtrack. Now he's here. You were so adamant last week that we're not doing guessing. You're like, now Chris isn't here. I have a yeah. very valid point to make. Well, we should do the guessing when it's a bit of a mystery. Okay, we shouldn't good. do the yeah. guessing when it's bloody obvious to everyone. Oh, right. that's nice. Compromise. Yeah. Good. So we're doing Batman this week. <laughs> Movies about Batman. <laughs> yeah, uh, three. Batman movies. Yeah. <laughs> no, obviously it's Joker. Uh, Joker is in cinemas as we speak, and therefore it felt like a good topic for us to tackle. Yeah, and I agree. There's well, a lot to talk about. Before that, we need to establish that we are talking specifically about who is the best big screen Joker in cinema history. Sorry, Cesar Romero, you're not included in the list. And Mark Hamill. He's a bloody good joker. He's a great joker. See, because he's been away, yeah. I'm now like the trivia king. So I'm like, oh, yeah. Did you know that actually Tim <laughs> Curry was originally going to be the animated joker voice and then he got bronchitis and they fired him and brought Mark Hamill in? Mm, I thought it was laryngitis, but... <laughs> <laughs> you tried so hard and yet... That's why he's back. Uh, all right, then. So, uh, Vicky had The Dark Knight. Chris, these were your choices. You chose to take Batman from 1989. That leaves me with Joker, which I'm excited and nervous about talking about towards <laughs> the end of the show. But why don't you kick us off, then? Jack Nicholson takes centre stage in this tale of a gangster who falls into a vat of nuclear waste and emerges a clown-like sociopath who brings chaos, anarchy and death to the people of Gotham. The film also features a bloke dressed as a bat, but no-one remembers him. <laughs> Jack, listen. Maybe we can cut a deal. Jack. Jack is dead, my friend. You can call me Joker. And as you can see, I'm a lot happier. <laughs> so, Batman. I mean, you like that intro, really, like, it's the first point we should talk about. Like, Jack Nicholson, as the Joker, gets top billing. He demanded, as part of his contract, to get top billing. It's a Batman movie. Batman should get top billing. Well, my first question was going to be, what are your memories of this from 1989? Because this seems to have been... This took over my childhood for a whole year, this mm. film. Did, did, was it the same for you guys? That The toys, the soundtrack, the T-shirts? Um, it was the games. It was just everywhere. It was, Vicky, I mean, what did you... What, I, I mean, I could literally, like, spew forth everything about how much this was an important film to me, but you go first. I'm just a normal person, so I watched <laughs> it and then I really liked it and then I went off and played outside or <laughs> talked oh, to my friends. That's very Chris. snobby and condescending. <laughs> a, bit like, just... a bit like a Todd Phillips quote I have coming up later in the show. But... Well, what is he doing? Right, I fucking love Todd Phillips. I mean, like, I, I already we're getting into Joker, but, like, did you see that thing, like, the other week where he sent Jimmy Kimmel a clip, a behind-the-scenes clip. Joaquin Phoenix was on the Jimmy Kimmel show, and Todd Phillips sent them a clip of Joaquin on set 
that Joaquin didn't know was going to be played. And it's him there in Joker makeup. And he's got his little like notes in front of him, his Joker diary that he kept. And he's looking at it. And you can hear the cinematographer chatting. And he's like, in the background. And Joaquin goes, can you shut up with the whispering? I'm trying to find something real here. Oh, no. And it comes back. And he's like visibly like embarrassed because it's like, it's a movie set. People do what they want on a movie set. I be- like, I believe- what is Todd Phillips doing sending that clip? I believe that's all a big setup, and you're being trolled. Everyone's being trolled. The stuff they're saying, the stuff they're doing, I think it's all part of a campaign. It's all part of this anarchy of the Joker. Do you think? Yeah, 100%. But I could be wrong, so maybe 99%. I mean, <laughs> cinemas have actually had to bring in extra security throughout the day for Joker screenings in the UK. In the UK? In the UK. Why? What is happening? I worry that people are going to shoot up a cinema. Really? But how much of this has, like Chris said, been built out of the press that it's getting? Like, would you be thinking about this movie as uh, an incitement to violence if the press hadn't gone, this is going to incite violence? Is it like a product of that? Would it, if they'd gone, hey, it's just a Joker movie? I think the film, I mean, we're going to get onto the, that film, but I think the film is poking the bear a little bit. I think they are trying to stir up this controversy, but the, I think then the press have just ran with it in such a way that it's, it's almost impossible to escape right now. You've got to have an opinion on it, which I'm dreading having to have an opinion on it later in the show. Right. <laughs> but, it's, uh... it's, it, honestly, I, I, I'm so pleased we're doing it last. So to get back to where we are, yeah. thank God we're starting with the fucking funniest movie yeah. first. <laughs> it is. So, yeah, what, what's your memory of that summer? I mean, Batmania. Uh, I remember Batmania as it was labelled at the time. Hey, don't laugh. That's, <laughs> I didn't call it that. <laughs> I forgot it was called that. That's really funny just hearing that word again. It wasn't called Batmania. It was. It, it absolutely house. was. No, it wasn't. No. Yeah, you weren't in your house. You were outside riding your tricycle, <laughs> riding your bike with stabilisers on because you still can't ride a bike. Um, <laughs> So it was Batmania. (laughs) But genuinely, this was the first. Because I I think Ghostbusters, I remember being kind of a big thing. I remember a friend of mine having a Ghostbusters book at school. That was the thing. That logo. Yeah, I had a jumper, I had jeans, I had the toys. I had a VHS I'd taped off ITV, Mm -hmm. so there's got no swearing in it. (laughs) And of course, what was the first 12 rated movie? Batman. Nope. A Madame Suzatska. I fooled you. <laughs> That's Thank not fair. God he's back. <laughs> Batman was the second. Was it really? Yeah, they did, they did it as an experiment in March 89 with, with this Shirley MacLaine film about her playing a piano teacher bonding with her immigrant student. Oh. Just to see how it would go. And then in August, the second one was Batman. I mean, you know, to watch it, it's so dark. Yeah, well, it's because in in 84, they'd created PG-13 in America for Temple of Doom and Ghostbusters. Mm. And so studios started making films that were in between sort of your 15 and your PG with with lots of violence, but Mm. with sort of popular characters. And so the UK basically had to catch up. I, I was 11, and I remember my parents had to take me and buy the ticket so I could get in. <laughs> to sneak in. Which was fine. It was fine. I was 11. It's fine. You were 15, but all right. <laughs> How were you? So you were 9, 10? This is the weird thing. I don't remember if I saw this at the cinema or not. No, you might not have been able to get in. I don't think I did. Mm. Obviously, because you're like, what, 15 years older than me, so <laughs> it's a weird one. But, but watching it again, I watched this two nights ago, and... I realised that I've watched Batman Returns probably about nine or ten times since it came out, and it is my favourite Batman movie, full stop. I haven't seen Batman, the original, for about 20 years. Mm, really? Neither. And it starts, and it's so dark. When Jack Nicholson is Jack Napier, before he mm. becomes the Joker, he's fucking terrifying. No, he's not. Do you not think? No, um, you first yeah, meet him and he's got his shoes on and I thought, there's a man that can't relax. I'm not scared of that. 
He's just sitting there with his shoes on, feet up. No, you're tense. Um, a sense of weakness. The only question I have uh, based on that statement is <laughs> any form of logic whatsoever. <laughs> what are you talking about, Vicky? When you see him... Me and Alex have our shoes on right now. Is well, this that's a... because we're in public. Are these signs of weakness? And we're sort of in... We're, we're outside, sort of, aren't we? Bert? No, we're definitely inside. <laughs> you know what I mean? No, but he's very smart, and I think that's all part of his image, actually. Yeah. He's very smart and vain, which is what why it's part of the madness. What bit you think that... that he was dark? What bit? When she um, puts it, her hand, Jerry Hall, mm. yeah. puts her hand on his shoulder yeah. and he go, and she goes something like, oh, you look nice, Jack, you look great. And he goes, I didn't ask. It's funny. Mm. No. At the time... He's scarier as Jack Napier than he is as the Joker. Yeah, that's true. Um, and he spends a lot of time as the Joker covering up his face so that, so, uh, in flesh-coloured makeup. So obviously he's straddling the two things quite a lot. Why are you staring at me like no. that? Like that, is that your resting face today? I was just, was I was like, it's the way you went. He covers himself up in flesh-coloured yeah, makeup. It's like, that's a weird yeah, thing to say. that's what you'd call it. <laughs> yeah, but I think if you like this film, there are two things that make it. There are, there are Tim Burton behind the scenes and there's Jack Nicholson in front of the camera. Mm. I mean, Tim Burton, he was on board with this film from a long time before. Hmm. Uh, he spent four years developing this, but it was only the success of Beetlejuice that allowed him to actually get it made. Yeah, he was hired after Pee-wee's Big Adventure and then it languished in a kind of limbo. But when Beetlejuice was a hit, they were like, cool, Batman is greenlit. And, and he says that he sees himself as a freak and he sees part of his freakishness in Batman and part of his freakishness in Joker, hmm. which is what makes him the perfect guy to make this film and to essentially reinvent the superhero movie. By, by sort of throwing out everything that we've seen before and, and bringing this darkness to it. And then um, the two bits of casting, there's obviously Jack, but before that, but briefly talk about Keaton because there was such controversy around <laughs> Michael Keaton being yeah. uh, cast in the movie, which I'd kind of forgotten, but Warner Brothers received 50,000 letters of protest. I've got a fantastic petition that I found yep. online, which I'll post on our social channels, just of people so desperate for, to, for it not to be Mr. Mom. Um, <laughs> one Batman fan, an article I read one Batman fan, fan said Keaton has no chin not enough hair he's too scrawny too doughy too short too glib and too distracting <laughs> which is basically describing me uh, <laughs> and, it, and it was so bad that they actually cut together a, a trailer to release in 1988 to show people they weren't doing the comedy version they weren't doing the 1960s version mm. of Batman the Wall Street Journal mm. like an actual legit newspaper ran a headline on their front page which read Batman fans fear the jokes on them in Hollywood epic because of Keaton's casting. He's my favourite Bruce Wayne. Yeah, 100% mine. 100% mine as well. But maybe I think even if I'd been a bit older than I would have thought this is a bit strange. I'm fine for Beetlejuice to play Joker, but Beetlejuice to play Batman Mm. sounds weird. Well, we've already sort of come on to like the fact that Tim Burton directed this and it is it was my first experience of Tim Burton. But the rumour mill is the rumour mill. To listen to some of the casting that went before Tim Burton, Ivan Reitman was going to direct it. He was mid-Ghostbusters filming when they approached him. He'd already had a hit with Stripes with Bill Murray. He was having Bill Murray play Batman. Amazing. Bill Murray is Batman, <laughs> and the Joker was a toss-up between Eddie Murphy and Michael J. Fox. Amazing. I mean, like <laughs> you're like, wow. Do you know, and only because we talked about him a few weeks ago on the pod, David Bowie was really? going to be the Joker at one point. But on the, uh, on the, on the commentary... Uh, 
Peter Goober says that Jack Nicholson was everyone's first choice for mm. the role, um, which is why he got himself such a great deal. As you said, he got that amazing back end. They, he had to, they had to, he had to have time off any time there was an LA Lakers game, mm. um, <laughs> which I've seen Michael Keaton talk about it. He was like, I'm sitting there, I'm Batman, and this bloke's just swanning in and out whenever he wants, saying, did you see the game? But he, no, no, I didn't. I've been at work. <laughs> he got that great deal because he, Jack Nicholson dithered over it for so long that they gave Tim Curry a pay-or-play deal. So Tim Curry got paid to play the Joker without playing it. They also then announced that Robin Williams was going to play the Joker to try and force Jack Nicholson's hand. Robin Williams didn't know, and he thought he was going to play the Joker because he lobbied to play the Joker. Didn't get it. And he wouldn't work with Warners again for, I think, close to a decade until they apologised to him. Anyway, that's how Jack Nicholson managed to get this deal. Do you know how much money Jack Nicholson made from that? I'm sure you do. Uh, the, back, the back end deal. The back end deal. Didn't are, he make $50 million? The actual estimate is between 50 and $90 million because he had a back end deal on the merchandising and it made oh, really? $750 million in merchandising. Good day's work. He, his contract said three weeks. He was like... I'll shoot all my scenes in three weeks. And it didn't happen because it overran. So he was furious about that because he probably fucking missed a Lakers game. <laughs> um, he said to, to them, though, he would only uh, take the role if Tim Burton came and visited him in Aspen <laughs> oh, yeah. and rode a horse with him and Peter Goober. And Tim Burton said, I don't know how to ride a horse. And Goober's like, it doesn't matter. You're riding a horse in Aspen. And he said, I was absolutely terrified. But by the end of the day, Nicholson sort of shook his hand and said, yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Peter Goober said that, that casting Jack Nicholson changed um, it from a movie into a film, are his exact words. Yeah. Nice. It suddenly gained legitimacy and respectability in the same way that casting Marlon Brando in Superman mm. did the same thing. And so suddenly it got taken more seriously. The budget went up. There was a different quality of actor they were able to bring on board, like Jack Palance, although mm. I don't like Jack Palance. Why? I just think he's a, he's a terrible actor. I mean, I've seen City Slickers, obviously, yeah. that he won an Oscar for. Did he? Yeah, he won an Oscar I for... I love that film. I didn't know that he'd won an Oscar. Yeah, he won an I Oscar mean... and he does that famous thing on the stage where he does, like, he's talking about how he's an old guy and, like, they bring in these younger guys and they won't let old guys do stunts and then he does one-armed push-ups on the Oscar stage. Oh, what? Really? Alex, Alex is actually doing it right now. This that is amazing. Is incredible. Yeah. So Get up, Alex. Yeah, no one's going to believe that because they know I can't do push-ups. <laughs> Weak arms. <Yep. laughs> Dense bones. Dense bones, sorry. <laughs> Uh, but um, but also when he came on board, there are rumours and, and listening to the, the commentary track that, that Tim Burton does on the Blu-ray, he talks a lot about the script and script changes and script issues and he alludes to things like it's obviously there was a massive issue behind the scenes that he doesn't really want to talk about too publicly. But he does say he does keep talking about other actors getting shortchanged once Jack Nicholson came on board. Yeah, they beefed up the Joker bar. Amazing. And, and he says, I remember adding stuff in for him and raking stuff out from other people, but not not who exactly. Mm. And so obviously this was a big battle going on behind the scenes that they haven't really talked about too much in public. But as you said, suddenly Nicholson's got top billing in this film. He's being paid the most. And the Joker's now the star of the movie. Mm. It's a Joker movie. But the flip side of that is on both this and Batman Returns, Michael Keaton asked for lines to be cut. He mm. didn't. He wanted his, his lines to be cut, so Batman yeah. was more of an enigma. Mm. Is it also because Batman is boring and so is Bruce Wayne? Do you really think that? Yeah, uh, I really, really do. Maybe so, but I think... I really I think... do. In all... Um, in this and Dark Knight... Every time, it's, I have a particular problem with Bruce Wayne, but I'll talk about it in the dark. And I just find him so, so dull. Mm. So I, think, but I, I think in a lot of superhero 
stories, the villains are more interesting than the heroes. Of it's course. just part of the course. I think most of the bad ones are because the villains, the villains not worked, not very good. Let me, sorry, there's another great villain I forgot to mention. There's a load of them. Colin Farrell as Bullseye in oh, Daredevil. For God's sake. <laughs> what a knobber. <laughs> um, so, what do you think of the look of the Joker in this movie? Um, the trouble is, it's hard to disentangle from uh, the emotion towards uh, Dark Knight. I find it difficult because the joke is meant to be scary and I don't find Jack Nicholson scary. I find him funny and arch, but I'm not scared by him. And so his look is suave and clean and um, big wide lapels and whatever else. And that's not scary, not compared to what came later. Hmm. So it's but the first to... time we saw that face, I thought I was terrified as a kid. Yeah, when, I remember when he's being got scared of the grin. smile. Yeah, and, and when it... he does it to other people, so those the bit with the newsreader and mm. she falls on the floor, and then when she comes, I remember it's being disturbing. yeah really scared of that when I was little. But then watching it in the weeks, like it's funny. It was interesting because they wanted to retain as much of of Jack's face as possible as you would when you cast him. And so it's really interesting about the the way they create this mask that had the smile permanently. Yeah. But then when he smiled, it would become an extreme smile. Yeah. And can I also say, I know this is like, you don't want to like, I don't want to be this person about Jack Nicholson's performance, but there are bits where he's clearly like, this is the bit where I'm going to prove that I'm out of my fucking mind by standard Jack Nicholson thing. And it, it sort of, it ruins the illusion a bit for me because it's like, that's you doing your thing. That's you chewing up the scenery. And it takes me out of the moment a bit. I love his performance, but I never thought he was cool. And it's, I like the Joker to be a character who is aspirational. <laughs> and terrified. <laughs> and the bit where, when he's in the gallery with um, Kim Bassinger. When they play Party Man, the Prince song. Yeah. Which is such, so bad. It's such a meta moment, because that song is from the Batman soundtrack, written by Prince, about the Joker. And the parade... It's trust that he's dancing to another Prince song from the soundtrack. Jack Nicholson's Joker is inexorably linked to Prince, the music artist, and you can never separate the yeah. two. T -t 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 Tim Burton actually says, uh, looking back on it, he said, uh, Prince just felt like a separate thing. I just let him get on with it. <laughs> <laughs> he said it, se it, seemed to, it seemed to fit fine at yeah. the end. One of Prince's most successful albums was the Batman soundtrack. It's bad. I mean, let's never forget... Bat dance. That was something else. <laughs> What's mm. bat dance? Bat. It's the song. It's the, it was the first single. The number one single from this. Are you going to sing it? It's it's impossible to sing. <laughs> oh, let's take a moment. <laughs> it's just lots of stupid quotes from the it's film. It's literally samples from the film and a bass line. Okay. And, and no, that's no, it. No, 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 no. Let's listen to it. <laughs> Great, but, thank you. But you were talking about that kind of broad Nicholson uh, performance. It was um, Tim Burton asked him to channel his Roger Corman days. Have you ever seen any of the old Roger Corman movies that Jack Nicholson starred in, The Raven and The Terror? No. And particularly you might have seen Little Shop of Horrors. Yes. Wait, so Jack Nicholson's not in that. The 60s, the oh, 60s version of I'm it. I'm thinking of the uh, I'm Rick Moranis. Yeah. Moranis. I've <laughs> seen yeah. that. He, he, he's, he's the um, Steve Martin role. No, he's not. He's the guy that wants to be at the dentist's. He's like a mad guy sitting there who's desperate for more dental work. It's uh, very funny. The, the Bill Murray character. Yeah, exactly. Right. Exactly. Nicholson played that originally. Can I do a bit of Tilly trivia? Go for it. <laughs> you know the tools on the table in the plastic surgeon's yeah. office where Jack gets his face redone as the Joker and the guy goes, this is all I had to work with. Those tools are the exact same props as from Little Shop of Horrors oh. that Steve Martin's character uses. Wow. That makes a lot of sense. 
Yeah. Because because look Burton... try not to look impressed. <laughs> I don't know. give you anything. That's Tell amazing. Well done. That's Say amazing. Well done. Well done, Al. Um, Angry. <laughs> no, no, because it's what um, that scene. It's what um, Burton's trying to channel. He's trying to channel Universal monster movies. He's trying to channel Corman. He's trying to channel Hammer horror. Mm. The actor who played Alfred, Tim Burton, took from Hammer horror movies. Yeah, Goff. Yeah. Goff. Michael yeah, Goff. Michael Goff. Yeah. And, and then you know, f- flashing forward to the, to the finale in the Belfry, it's all Universal Monsters, it's all Hammer Horror and I, I like that over the top sort of operatic horror thing that, that Burton brings I, I agree with you, I just wish the, the final scene when uh, the Joker has been pushed off the Belfry and he's dead and the, they all like <laughs> gather around him and there's the laughing bag that's doing the laugh uh-huh. and then you hear this music box music, twinkly music box music mm-hmm. that's the best, that's Tim Burton like A1, that's what he does and that to me was like, it should have been more like that is a really creepy moment and it should be, I, I don't want it to be a horror film, but I would have liked it, even when I was younger, to tip over a bit more into horror. But I'm horror. sure that's the battle he was fighting all the way through production. You yeah. know, he's got to make a movie that's going to make $500 million that kids are going to like, and yet his sensibility is to go dark and horror. Yeah. And so I'm sure that's, the, and I, I do think all the way through, he does manage to get moments like that. The minute Batman appears for the first time when those two goons are on the rooftop, he's like a yeah. vampire when he lands. I, I honestly, I'd forgotten this movie. So the opening scene, where you see Gotham for the first time. Yeah. Danny Elfman's score. Yeah, the music's amazing. Uh, it's truly, uh, alongside Jurassic Park, it's mm. one of my favourite movie scores yeah, ever. Brilliant. And the fact that the goons, like, have uh, got, like, they look like extras from Mad Max, not like <laughs> yeah. just your regular criminal. But the one moment that was voted on a show I did for Sky, the greatest moments in DC comic book movie history, the moment that that was voted, I think, number seven or eight was the moment where the guy goes, what are you? I'm Batman. <laughs> and I had the Commodore Amiga game, yeah. and that sample was played over and over again in the title music, which I'm going to play right now. Isn't that good? <laughs> it's very good. I really enjoyed that. Thanks. Um, <laughs> I will admit, this is quite embarrassing. I used to try and dress like Bruce Wayne when I was 11. I thought he looked really smart. Wait, like most jeans and a roll neck. Like the most boring No, I, I used world. to wear roll necks or it's these kind of autumnal colours and quite smart and I look, <laughs> I look ridiculous. That lasted six months. Where did you get a roll neck from? Marks and Spencers, I would imagine. Do they make them for children? Yeah. That's weird, isn't it? The, the, Marks and Spencers full of old people, old people clothes for children. Small. So, I, just to make Chris feel less like a weirdo, I also wore a roll neck. <laughs> I was obsessed with the colour purple and black. So the movie. I, I, wore a purple, <laughs> I wore a purple roll neck and a black waistcoat as a 14-year-old and still wondered why I didn't get off with anyone in the park. <laughs> You would have looked like uh, Paul McKenna. (laughs) (laughs) Paul McKenna. Um, I think the big question we need to ask about all these Jokers is, is, or particularly this one, how do you feel about the moment with the Joker and the Waynes and how the Joker is created and how Batman is created? I will say this. The problem I have with 
Batman 1989 is the idea that for some reason, uh, I, I don't know whether it was Sam Hamm, the scriptwriter, or it was added later by Burton, the idea that the Joker kills Bruce Wayne's parents feels unnecessary. Because mm-hmm. like, obviously in the comics, it's Joe Chill. To turn it into a revenge story, like Batman has a reason to kill the Joker because he killed his parents, it dilutes like what should be uh, uh, you know, your arch nemesis. Yeah. It should be above human things. Yes, that's right. You said it much better than yeah. I did. <laughs> okay. No, I agree. I, I think it makes it personal. And the whole point of Joe Chill killing the Waynes is it's a random attack. Um, he represents that, the, the, that murder represents crime in general. Mm. And um, it's this thing that he can never catch. He can never stop. He can never succeed. And that's why he has to go on forever. And by changing it into this very specific person who he can now have battles with, I think it diminishes the power of that Mm. concept and and why Batman became Batman in the first place. Yeah. I mean, Vicky did just say exactly the same thing in one line. No. No? (laughs) (laughs) And I'm done for this episode. (laughs) Come on, sugar bumps. (laughs) <laughs> That's the Jack Palance line where he goes. Oh yeah, he, does. <laughs> he goes. He goes. He goes. Is that you, sugar bumps? I'm like, oh man, you need to leave this guy. It's weird. I a, I find it weird that he gets killed in a dressing gown. I never... I thought that yeah because you can see his calves yep. and it's such a vulnerable position. Right? To be in. Oh, thank God. I thought I'm a weirdo. And no, I have not issues. at all. Okay. I would be. I'd be like, can I just put something on? I never want to die in a dressing gown. No, you don't. No, no you don't. No. Especially because I've got a dressing gown that's a sort of brown toweling dressing gown with a hood. (laughs) (laughs) No, it sounds awful, but when I I put the hood up, I feel like a Jedi. (laughs) I really do. How old are you? (laughs) Jack Nicholson manages something that Heath Ledger and Whacking Phoenix don't do. He manages to kill someone with a quill in this film. Oh, yeah, in the throat. How... (laughs) How much force must you throw a quill with for it to not just pierce someone's throat, but immediately kill kill them? them. (laughs) I imagine in Victorian times, there were a lot of quill-related deaths. It was either throw a quill in someone's neck or drown them in an (laughs) inkwell. That's rubbish. (laughs) I was so tired when I was watching this. I literally wrote it and I went, that's going to (laughs) land. Did you? (laughs) I was quite focused predictably, on Kim Bassinger. <laughs> because, um, she sleeps with a teddy bear and has creepy dolls everywhere and a bowl of popcorn on her mantelpiece. And why is that? <laughs> no, I did yeah, not it's know. a half-eaten half bowl of popcorn she on the mantelpiece. Yeah, the Joker bears and she's like, ah, oh, fuck. Yeah. And then she runs across her room and then Bruce Wayne comes in to save her and she grabs this bowl and I thought, oh, she's going to throw like, a vo- like an ornamental whatever at him. And then she just starts eating from it and it's a half-eaten bowl of popcorn. Mm. Why is that? I was really focused on that bowl. Why is it there? Why is it there? Mm. You have to... I, was really, I was really focused on the fact that how many weird one-night stands has she been on that when you wake up in the middle of the night and your date is hanging upside <laughs> yeah. down in a metal harness like Dorian Gray, you just go, <laughs> Meh. it's cool. She'll really take it. She cannot take no for an answer. That's found that mortifying. In the morning, she's like, do you want to get lunch? Nope. Yeah. Should we do it later? Nope. <laughs> but the weird what about next week? No, I've said no. And then she's like, I loved you from the moment I met you. She's yes! like, come on. The moment you met him was like when you went, hey, do you know who Bruce Wayne is? Yeah. And you're like, that was Bruce Wayne. Yeah. Do you know the bit that you see Michael Keaton? Because obviously Michael Keaton can do like crazy in a similar Jack Nicholson way. And the only moment you see that is when he's like, you want to get nuts? I'll get nuts. Yeah, but it really sticks out. It's... 
it's just it was just odd. But you know when he puts the um, chest plate in and yeah. gets shot through that. Yeah. That is known in uh, movie land as the Batman Gambit. It, it actually, it, like, regardless, of, in any movie where it happens, it's still known as the Batman Gambit, which is where your plan relies on the person doing exactly what you expect them to do. As in, in that moment, he shoots him in the chest, yeah. not the fucking head. <laughs> and that's why it's called the Batman Gambit. And I wrote, I'm just going to read the list really quickly because I was like, oh, I've seen that so many times. I wonder how many times I've seen it. Octopussy, Rush Hour 2, The Three Musketeers, starring Tim Curry as Cardinal Richelieu, callback. Uh, Back to the Future Part 3, Sin City, White House Down, Suicide Squad, Trick or Treat, which you told me to watch and I haven't seen oh, it's yet. good. Deadpool 2, all of these movies feature the Batman Gambit. And it's surprising an Octopussy, which came out before Batman. Yeah. <laughs> what, what did they call it then? <laughs> it was, I don't know, maybe it was in like the comics or like the... When did Octopussy come out? Vicky. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fine, fuck off. <laughs> uh, interestingly, he is called Joker, not the Joker in this. He's yep. called the Joker in The Dark Knight, but he's called Joker in this and Joker in Joker. But he's got so many great lines uh, where he's talking about Grissom and after Grissom's dead and he goes, he was a thief and a terrorist. On the other hand, he had a tremendous singing voice. <laughs> yeah, I love that. <laughs> what a great line. <laughs> Apparently, he would do these lines different ways each take because mm. um, he was always searching for the darkest joke. And when I saw an interview with him where he said that his own, Jack Nicholson's own personal humour, he says, nothing is sacred to me when it comes to jokes. And the same way with the Joker. So it was always searching for the nastiest thing he could say. And yet there are moments where I'm like, oh, I feel sympathy for him, which you shouldn't. But the moment the Batwing appears is truly one of those, like, childhood moments where I'm like, oh my god he's got a flying thing that looks like a fucking bat, I love it. Oh, when he's flying through the festival. And he flies to the festival and he takes all the balloons and Joker, Jack Nicholson oh, yeah. goes my balloons? <laughs> Those are my balloons! And I was like He's stolen his balloons. Yeah. Stop being a dick, Batman. I was really distracted by that scene because um, Michael Keaton appears to be, if you look at the way he's moving his lips, he's flying his bat wing um, and he looks like he's going... Doo, 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 doo. <laughs> Watch him back with no sound. And he's just going like... Doo, doo, doo. <laughs> the bit where it goes up and hot and like just in front of the moon. Oh, that's cool. I love that. I remember that from... Such a great moment. Although the targeting system on that thing is poor. (laughs) It literally goes, you are targeted on the Joker. He fires everything and misses. And then Jack Nicholson pulls out his massive gun and goes... And it just comes down. (laughs) The whole thing. Straight away. It's, It's over. But again... Dark Knight, it reminded me of the bit where Batman's on the bat pod and Joker's like, come on, I want you to do it. I want you to yeah, do it. Yeah, it's the same. It's yeah, the same yeah, thing. Yeah. Um, the other thing I wanted to mention is like a Pavlovian response to this film. The minute it started, and particularly during it with the bat wing when it flies by the moon, I could instantly taste McDonald's. <laughs> it was it's so closely tied in with being taken to McDonald's and having a cinema trip, like as a big treat. And I was like, oh. That's nice. <laughs> um, so the whole cathedral scene at the end. Yeah. The cathedral scene was allegedly, that was added at uh, the 11th hour by John Peters. Uh, obviously, Wild Wild West, John Peters, Giant Mechanical Spider, John Peters, the producer of this movie. He added the whole cathedral scene. And Jack Nicholson said to Tim Burton, why am I walking up these uh, these stairs to get to the top of this cathedral? What's, what's this about? And Tim Burton didn't know the answer because it had just been thrown on his doorstep. And he went, 
I'll tell you when you get to the top. <laughs> nah, that's absolutely true. He says that on the commentary. He, he says Does that. he say yeah, that? Yeah, he says, he says, I did not know what to say. He said, we were making up the ending as we went along. And it was really difficult. And he said there were, there were moments when I did not know what to say. And that's true. He said that to Nicholson. Shh. But I also wonder if they put that cathedral scene in just so he could say there's a bat mm. in my belfry. That's, I, that's <laughs> what too, I did. Yeah, yeah, I was like, oh, you, they did you built a scene, scene around, a, around a pub. A one, one job. Yeah. I got quite upset when the Joker died in this. Yeah, me too. Did, oh, good. Um, can I do one bit of uh, trivia that I think you'll appreciate? Ooh. The guy who plays uh, the cop at the start, Lieutenant Eckhart, yes. his name is William Hootkins. William Hootkins has pretty much been in every single movie that we loved as kids. He is one of the agents that turns up at the start of Raiders of the Lost Ark to employ Indiana Jones to go find it because mm. the Nazis are looking for yeah. it. I can see it. I can see it. He's also in... He's Dr. Zarkov's assistant in Flash Gordon, Ooh, the movie. Yep, yep, got it, got it. But the best one is he's Porkins. Porkins, yeah. <laughs> yeah, oh, you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I'm just putting it together yeah, now because yeah, yeah. I'm seeing his face. He's bloody Porkins. He's Porkins he? in yeah. A New Hope. There. Oh, that's so cool. And he remembers, like, because he's a big guy, and he remembers getting the script for Porkins. He was like, "Uh huh, <laughs> Porkins." But he was initially cast before they decided to make Jabba the Hutt a big worm alien. He was cast as the human Jabba the Hutt in A New Hope, and he turned it down because he read the script and he says word for word, "I read the script and thought this was going to be the biggest disaster." in the history of filmmaking. Oh. <laughs> and then eventually he took the role of Porkins and he did say, after watching the movie, he felt he'd been touched by genius. <laughs> On no. that oh, bombshell. look at you looking for approval. <laughs> that is heartbreaking. Yeah, not from you, from Chris. <laughs> <laughs> no, I know. <laughs> Was that all right, Dad? <laughs> did I do it right, Dad? Did you like Chris? I thought you'd be really like. Oh no, wow. it was good, son. It was good, son. And, and, and when we and when we do the Star Wars podcast, it will be great. Um, uh, one last thing um, before we move on: the Batmobile in Tim Burton's Batman is still to date the greatest Batmobile of Batman's history. Hundred percent. The bit Number where one. he goes, Shield. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Yeah, Adam West's Batmobile number two, but. Really? <laughs> Michael Keaton's number one. I put Tumblr as number two. Oh, God, what a load of nonsense. That really? Is. Why? I mean, we're about, to, feel, we're yeah, about we, to segue into it. It feels but... like a good segue. Is that why you said it, or do you really yeah. mean you don't like it? I, I, I don't like it. Why? It's not cool. Uh, yeah. it's, this practical, I'm, not, I'm not interested in a practical Batmobile. I want something that's sleek and cool and... Sexy. Uh, the only other, the only other person um, that we should mention, the other person who Tim Burton really wanted that Warner Brothers vetoed and went, nope. Who I think would have been a great Joker. James Woods was considered. John Lithgow was considered, and John Lithgow didn't want to do it and talked himself out of it. Something he regrets. <laughs> As I mentioned, David Bowie, Tim Curry uh, was paid to play it and then didn't do it. But the one who I actually think would have been a great Joker, Brad Dourif. Mm. Worm tongue from the Lord of the Rings. Oh, mm -hmm. don't you think he would have been great? Burton wanted him, and the studio went, "Nope, no." I mean, I guess so, but I think they did fine. Like, I'd, I'd never question this casting. I think it's one of the greatest yeah. sort of marriages of an actor with a role yeah. that there's ever been. So, hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombus, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. 
Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. All right, cool. So that was uh, Jack Nicholson as Joker. That's where we start. He's brilliant. We're moving on. The Dark Knight, Vicky. I watch The Dark Knight where a maniac with very disturbing hair and makeup tries to sow fear, panic and dissent among the general population. Oh, no, wait, that's Donald Trump the movie. <laughs> Are we allowed to say that? <laughs> He's not going to come after me, is he? Well, Fox News are a sponsor, but we'll deal with it. Where do we begin? A year ago, these uh, cops and lawyers wouldn't dare cross any of you. I mean, what happened? So what are you proposing? It's simple. Kill the Batman. (laughs) So let's get into this because the Joker is meant to be scary and Heath Ledger is fucking terrifying. And you can sort of basically end it there. Um, When the film opens, (laughs) obviously don't end it there because that would be boring, but... The film opens, and again, this is his film. Batman isn't anywhere to be seen. Batman is missing. Um, he gets however long to open the scene when he um, with the bank heist, and it, it becomes really clear that it's his movie. And then the minute Bruce Wayne is on screen, it's like, ugh, it's boring. It's boring without Heath Ledger in it. Um, what do you think about that? I honestly, I think you hit the nail on the head and said it very succinctly, because you do that better than either of us. Genuinely... Mm. The Dark Knight is quite rightly revered as one of the greatest, not just comic book movies, one of the greatest movies in, in like my lifetime. It's a phenomenal film. Yeah. And yet, when Heath Ledger is off screen, mm. it's not yeah. a great movie. Yeah, I'm not going to jump to the end, but I am. I'm going to say I'm not, but I am. When it's when he's sort of taken out of the picture and you know that there's still like 20 minutes left, it's like, oh, really? Like, yeah. like what are we going to do it's now? so funny. So I watched it. I, I watched it about three months ago for fun and then I watched it again yesterday and I was so close. After he's left hanging upside down on that building, mm. I was like, ugh, this bit. And I just... I do think the third act suffers even with the Joker in. That bit on the ferries, 
I find a little bit tedious. The thing, the criticism of the scene with the ferries, I guess the first time you watched it, it's incredibly exciting and tense. I think the problem with that is once you know what's coming, it maybe doesn't pack the same power. Yeah, I guess because it's quite a long movie, it felt like... It's I, a bit I, long, isn't it? You, you you said this before we started. It's, it's, it's too half long. an hour too long. Yeah. Um, but to talk about Heath Ledger, so I'm sure everybody knows this, but his process was to sort of hide in a hotel room and make a joke diary and drawing on um, Alex in a Clockwork Orange and Francis Bacon and to try and find the look and to try and find the voice, although the voice is Tom Waits. <laughs> so that was quite easy. <laughs> and the shock of seeing the Joker like this when obviously the last uh, big screen version would have been Jack Nicholson you've got someone with the makeup of a of a mad person rather than pristine makeup um his clothes are dirty his fingers are stained like he's and he's huge as well if you think about the size of him and that in itself is quite scary which is what it's meant to be oh, do you mean what do you he's mean? bulky like he's a big man do you not think he's ledger yeah no, I never... he's not in i mean i there's unless he's wearing padding in the jacket but there are certain angles where he's like I don't know, maybe it's just how forcefully he walks into the scenes, but he seems like a big man. That's interesting to me because, like, I look at Jack Nicholson in Batman and go, he's a bulky Joker. I I never saw that. To me, like, Heath Ledger is quite a, a, a svelte Joker. No, he seems built. He just okay. seems... The makeup's interesting, though, because he felt that Joker would obviously apply his own makeup, and so he did apply his own makeup yeah. on set. And so that's why he's got... It's his real makeup underneath his fingernails, which I think is a great touch, which I hadn't spotted myself i guess it was yeah. an interview with the costume designer explaining that and i thought oh, that's a nice that's a nice bit of reality they've injected into it yeah. yeah the weird thing is lindy hemming was the costume designer and like she says they wanted to give him a grungier look than the joker had had before they wanted to give him a grubby appearance and i think it was either her or christopher nolan who said you can almost imagine what he smells like mm, like he doesn't look good. after himself <laughs> again <laughs> it's weird to read that because you obviously you imprint your own idea of who he is and what he is watching the movie and this character. And I read that and I was like, that is the polar opposite of how I see him. Because I remember the scene where they go, all his clothes are tailor-made. Like, there's no labels. Yeah. And I I actually consider him as someone who cares about what he looks well, like. Well, the, the five people she name-checked that they had actually up in, in the office when they were coming up with this costume were Terence Stamp, Bill Wyman, Iggy Pop, Keith Richards and Adam Ant. Mm. So a bit of a dandy. Yeah. And, and I know new romantics come up in some of the interviews that they've done. Which is the polar opposite of someone... But the hair, the hair's so greasy, and isn't it? And the yellow. face, yeah, 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 and the yeah. face is a bit messy, isn't it? Yeah. Do you think there was a bridge between the Jack Nicholson iteration and Heath Ledger, the scene where he confronts the mob and he's got he's got a blazer full of bombs? So that's like a joke, oh, booky, so like comic sort of thing. And is the juxtaposition more scary because you've got this comic book element with the blazer, but you've got this very dishevelled, like deranged person? Or is it a bit jarring because it doesn't quite fit with... He's, he's all about knives, like he's not about a blazer full of bombs. So there's like a strange... It's either a throwback or a callback to Jack Nicholson or... Or not? I, I found I that... like gunpowder and dynamite, <laughs> and the thing that they have in common is they're cheap. Yeah. Well, it's. I mean, what I like is that is these two different approaches because Nicholson is telling jokes and they're funny, and Ledger's telling jokes and they're really not funny. Yeah. They're really upsetting, and, <laughs> yeah. I, and I. But they're both jokes. I don't know. I love the bit where he makes the pencil disappear. Oh God, that's. <laughs> I was like, that's so good. hard. Yeah. I don't. Ugh. Do you really? I love it. I, I really, really like it. So, um, Michael Jai uh, White. So he plays Gamble in that scene, and I watched um, uh, an interview with him, and he was saying 
uh, which we really should talk about early on because so much has been made about, like, obviously, the passing of Heath Ledger before this film was released after playing the role and this idea that he lost himself in this role and, like, the darkness of the Joker. Everyone, when you dig deep or even don't dig deep, just listen to any interview from any of the filmmakers, any of his castmates, Heath Ledger himself says, I had never had as much fun mm. as an actor as playing this role. I loved it. And people talk about how much fun he had. Like, he was in character when he was in the scenes, but the minute the scene ended, he was skateboarding, having a laugh. Michael Jai White uh, says the same thing. He was like, this is, it's nonsense. This mm. idea that this role damaged him yeah. uh, irreversibly is not true. Obviously, there was something, but it wasn't playing the Joker. Yeah. You know, it's a romantic story. The Joker's this yeah. dark character and that's what happened. But then why does that sort of... So the, we'll probably talk about this more with Joker, but like, why does that sort of thing catch fire? Because why do people like to think that? Like, why is... Having watched three films with the Joker, and why is the Joker over a lot of other of the DC villains got such an enduring appeal? Because the Joker... The Heath Ledger's version, which I really like for this reason, but the, the lies around the backstory, so there's no truth there. So you're not meant to feel anything for him because you can't get a sense of who he was or is. Um, so you're not supposed to feel sorry for him. You're just supposed to cope with him if you can, because he's weather, isn't he? Because he's he's chaos, and like Alfred says, you know, some people just want to watch the world burn. Oh, he's like, which is amazing. Line. That's such a um, great line. So, but people like other normal people like the idea, obviously, of a person that just decides to say, do you know what? Fuck it. There are no rules. There's no nothing. I will decide. Um, depending on how I feel, what I'm going to do today. And that's that's to me so interesting that the idea that that can overwhelm a person, which it didn't, um, takes lie in the public imagination because there's a bit of like, we would all like to do that a little bit yeah. and we can't. Another reason that he's the man for me is his attitude to a buffet, which is really <laughs> important. And that's another reason why I don't like Bruce Wayne. So at the Harvey Dent fundraiser, Bruce Wayne takes a glass of champagne. And I, I might be wrong, but I think he stands on the balcony and chucks the glass of champagne over the balcony. Which is a nice moment because it's like, because that undoes this idea. Because... Yeah, he pretends to be this playboy, this playboy yeah. Yeah. and then he's got this glass of champagne and actually when he's not in front of anyone, he just chucks it away because yeah. he doesn't want to drink. And I have no time for that. And then when <laughs> the Joker walks into the room, he's like, canapes, munch, prawns, give it to me, glass of fizz, bang, bang, bang. So That's my man. There's an interesting uh, thing where, oh, I've forgotten his name, his, uh, his dialect coach on it uh, before that scene where there were tons of extras. I think it's the scene with the most extras around him in. And Heath Ledger said to his dialect coach, Greg uh, Grenell, I just found it. Um, he uh, he said to his dialect coach, he was like, oh, this is kind of crazy because I feel like I'm going on stage. There's so many people around and I'm going to be doing this character. And his dialect coach went, you're playing a psychopath. These are your playthings. These people just go and have fun with them. And you get that feel knowing that and then watching this scene where he's like, you know. And he takes the <laughs> glass of champagne from that girl. Yeah. It's like, Harvey Dent, I'm looking for Harvey Dent. And you're like, he really is just improving mm. and like having fun. And let's just do that while we're talking about improv, let's dispel the rumour right now that the bit where he, the bomb goes off in the hospital oh, yeah. and he stops like, hey, it's just one of the greatest ad-libs in like movie history. Just improv that moment when the special effects didn't go off on time. no. It was all planned. Oh, was it? They ran through it a billion times because <laughs> that's a real building yeah. that they blew up. Yeah. They weren't going to fuck it up. And no, you so, don't get to do that twice. <laughs> right. <laughs> that's exactly what Christopher Nolan, I think it was Chris Corbold, like the special effects guy, he was like, he's like, no, we knew yeah. that was going to happen. We, <laughs> we didn't just sort of go, 
fuck? Did don't did you not set those bombs properly? <laughs> Does anyone want to volunteer to go in and just see if there's something wrong with the timer? It's still a great moment, and Heath Ledger plays it brilliantly, yeah. which is why you sort of go, he just made that up. But no, <laughs> that was planned. Uh, let's talk about um, Heath Ledger as a nurse because that's oh. one of the scariest things I've ever seen really? in my life. You know I love drag, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> I do. Hold on, this is a good outfit for you for Halloween. <laughs> Don't spoil it. I was going to surprise you. <laughs> when he leaves Harvey Dent's room, he uses the alcohol hand rub, which is, um, you know, because you should, because you're a nurse. Like, yeah, not he does, there's lots of little funny asides. Yeah. Like when it, when he sees Maggie Gyllenhaal and he says, hey, beautiful, and he just kind of combs his hair. Yes! With a knife! Yeah, with a knife. It's just, <laughs> it's just there's little asides, I think, really make but it. But I've watched that scene again today because I was thinking about it so much, and it's the way that he reaches across the wrong side of his head. It's not even just the fact that he's combing his hair with a blade. It's such a weird reach around. It's so creepy. Yeah. Like, it's not fun. It's a good joke, yeah. but it's not funny. No. But it does provide, that moment provides Batman with his best line in the whole film. Yeah. Where like, he, he goes, ah, you've got some fight in you. I like that. And then Batman goes, well, you're going to love me. Yeah. I mean, that's the trouble that I've always had with Batman. Is like, I understand what he's supposed to represent and I understand that it, Christian Bale as Batman does it really well, this sort of, I will be what Gotham needs me to be and mm. et cetera, et cetera. But he's just so earnest and so boring in comparison to this fucking firework that's going off that every time I, I'm with him, I'm just like, oh, don't care. Although I do have a problem with the Joker, actually, in terms of... Um, but, but if he was as nuts as Joker, it would be too much. But like... maybe just a bit more... That lie... You want to get nuts? I'll get nuts. <laughs> yeah, that doesn't work either. I suppose he can't... He's, he's, he is what, what do you want, Vicky? <laughs> he's a, I like the fact that he's a Jerry Maguire fan. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> he says you complete you me. Complete That's me. so good. So that was um, the interrogation scene yeah, in the room. Yeah, that's scary. That is the first scene they filmed uh, with him as the Joker, and it is Christopher Nolan's favourite scene in the whole film, which is kind of amazing when you flip an 18-wheeler truck for wheel, for real, <laughs> for wheel, and... Um, and yet his favourite scene is the interrogation scene. Well, it must have been exciting watching it unfold. It's a very interesting scene. I mean, I'd like to ask a question to you guys. What is this Joker's background? What is his origin? Where did he come from? It's a great question. Well, are you asking us to... Yeah. yeah. Speculate. Or I can speculate because I've thought about it, but I just wondered if you guys had any theories. See, not really a question. No. <laughs> it's a lead into. I've no! Got, no, go on. No. I want to hear yours. I, I, so here's the thing, and we'll talk about it when um, we get on to Joker, but um, I interviewed Joaquin Phoenix for Joker, and I was so terrified about interviewing him because the film meant so much to me and I loved it so much that I did not want to have to analyse it with someone who made it and also he's terrifying mm. and I was worried that if, actually we terrifying. Did, if, if we didn't get on it would spoil the movie for me and in a similar way to what you're asking I almost don't want to sure. even hypothesise about that because it takes away from the fact that he is just this thing yeah. this force that appears does what he does and just does not give a fuck mm. but what's yours? Well I think he's Almost definitely a war veteran with PTSD. What? Yeah. Is that really your thing? Yeah, because um, I think he's someone who's been physically and mentally scarred by war. He, he's an expert in planning and tactics, so he's probably special ops. Each of his missions is so perfectly executed. 
Um, there's no record of his existence, so I wonder if his identity has been restricted or deleted by the government. And also, that scene is what made me think it as well. He's an expert in interrogation. Like, he's the one that's supposed to be being interrogated in that scene, and yet he's basically telling Batman what to do. Yeah. Like, Batman smacks his head. He says, you don't, you don't hit the guy on the head straight away because it makes him fuzzy. <laughs> it's like... And, and as you were saying, Batman can be anything that Gotham needs to be. When Joker's interacting with people all the way through the film, he's whatever they need him to be. You know, with Harvey Dent, when he's whispering in his ear, he's just saying these little things like Iago in Othello, like just whispering these sweet nothings that actually turn people or make people question stuff. So I feel like it all comes from a military background and that maybe that's why he's coming back to sort of wreak his vengeance, that there is a method in his madness. That's a really fascinating theory. I was watching it through that prism this time and it does. I've not really thought about it before and it does... It, it's more the military stuff more so and these these and also the fact that he's supposed to be this this agent of anarchy and chaos but actually i don't think there's that much that's random in what he does no his plans are pretty um watertight yeah and actually throughout the film they all go well yeah. apart from right at the end the interrogation scene that you just mentioned yeah christopher nolan one of the reasons he loves that scene so much he says he's never seen anyone uh, react to a punch as well as Heath Ledger does when Batman hits him in that. Uh, to tie it back to the last one, Tim Burton says, no one faints as well as Jerry Hall. <laughs> Jesus. As Jerry Hall? I'd argue Kim Bassinger faints. He says that her faints good as well, but he Did said Jerry know? Hall. He said, I didn't really know who Jerry Hall was and I just kind of had to cast her, but she, um, she faints really well. <laughs> Do they both faint? Yes. Oh, that's disappointing, isn't it? Um, that bit where he goes, I've had a recent... In Bat, in Jack Nicholson goes, I've had a recent tragedy in my life. Uh, Alicia, she threw herself out of the window. But you can't make an omelette without breaking a few eggs. His, the wind that was, my brother had a T-shirt with that on. A big picture of the Joker and saying you can't make an omelette without breaking some eggs. And it's oh, like looking he's, back he's at He's married that's... now, isn't he? <laughs> yeah, oh, that's nice. <laughs> and I like the way that this Joker, uh, not only is he pulling the wool over the eyes in the film, he fools us the first time he explains where his scars come from. You're taking him at face value. You're listening to it. And Pun. then... <laughs> yeah. But um, I think that's brilliant as well. That's the one of the best things about it that... And, 100%. It's funny you mentioned the sound design as well. I watched a documentary in which Hans Zimmer talks about creating the theme for the Joker, um, which he spent a lot of time doing. A lot of razor blades on piano wires, which even Ooh. saying that aloud makes me feel sick. But there's this... Christopher Nolan explains that that um, he put together about 10 hours worth of, these, of this sound of razor blades on piano wires. Mm. Nolan said, I want to hear it. He sent it to him. Nolan said he was on a nine-hour flight and spent all nine hours listening to these sounds. And he said, I came off and felt quite sick. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no wonder. He said, I knew we were getting somewhere, but I felt quite sick. <laughs> he said he wanted to create something that was truly provocative and that people would really hate. <laughs> okay. I love Hans Zimmer. But um, the reason that Heath Ledger was cast as the Joker at all, because initially he met Christopher Nolan for the role of Bruce Wayne, and Heath Ledger said to him, I don't want to do it. I fear that kind of blockbuster merchandising toys. It's not for me. No, thank you. He said he can't. He couldn't take seriously dressing up as a superhero. That's right. Mm. And then when Heath Ledger watched Batman Begins and saw Nolan's vision, he was the one who approached Nolan about playing the Joker. Nolan was like, this is my guy. He's mm. the guy I want for this. Um, the boat hostages thing, that scene, I know we've spoken about it already, but in the real world, it would have taken about, I would have blown them up before he'd finished fucking which talking. Boat, which boat would you have been on, though? If I'm on the boat with my kids, yeah... And you're fucking bringing that to my door. Oh, well. You're gone. Here we go. <laughs> Using having children as leverage. Interesting. 
interesting. Yeah. But, but what if Alex you know and I it? were on the other boat? Hey, you. Ch- because there's a mother there. She's got her arm around the child, and then she's like, "Okay, son, we won't do this yeah. bullshit." What if I don't Alex know, was I... on the other boat, and then what if I was on the other boat? But I was with my children on the boat. What if I had one of your kids with me? I'm, That's really I'm, I'm gonna, then you're asking me to choose, which I can do. But I'm choose between me and Alex. I'm going to ask you not to answer that question because we have to work together in the future. And I genuinely believe you'd choose me over your children, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's it. I would blow you up, and I actually care about you, let alone a boatload of strangers. Gone. I want to reword this question. What is more important to you, your children or this podcast? I'm glad. I'm glad you've asked it like that. Um... Yeah, you've asked a much better question, Chris. I'm <laughs> going back to my parenting style. Um, when um, Harvey Dent is making. Um, Jim Gordon say to his son when he's got a gun to say like tell him it'll be all right. I'd be like, you wouldn't get that out of me. I demand strength. I demand truth. You'll spoil him. What I love about that scene, and you, you, I, you, I would be interested to hear your opinion on it. He goes, Harvey then goes, I'm going to kill the thing you care about most, mm. and takes his son. His daughter's there as well. And that kid's going to grab and go, sorry, Dad, remember that night where that guy with half a face was put... Can I just ask Dad? I don't understand if he's got an injury of some sort. He's on the ground or he's been knocked out. Harvey Dent takes his son and he doesn't even get up. Like He just lies and he's like, hey, Dad. It's like, get the fuck up and get him back. Like Have a fight with him. Like He's got your child. And she's just sitting there going... Like, no, this is not... That's not how it would go down. Um... I do. I only found this uh, in one place, but um, apparently it was. Where is it? I'm doing Bane. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it was um, the cinematographer on the Imaginarium of Doctor Parnassus uh, talks about he, uh, talking to Heath Ledger on that movie, and how she says he wanted. He looked to Johnny Depp as Captain Jack Sparrow as part of his inspiration for the Joker in the sense that Johnny Depp really pushed that role as far as he could. He turned up on the first day of shooting. As a pirate. (laughs) (laughs) No, Johnny Depp turned up on the first day of shooting and he put 40 gold teeth in and Jerry Bruckheimer wanted to fire him on the spot and they made a compromise where he had six gold teeth in the end. But Heath Ledger, the reason that relates to him is that he basically... Because I think he had a, a pay-or-play deal on this movie. So if they fired him, he would have still got paid. He used that as an opportunity to really push it as far as he could with the idea that if he gets fired, he'll be he fired. Care, yeah. But he doesn't care. And that really helped him go as extreme as he does yeah. with that character. I, I don't think I've said it yet, but genuinely in my lifetime, his performance as the Joker in that movie is one of the greatest performances I have ever seen on a cinema screen. I do not see Heath Ledger. Like Heath Ledger formed a really, really good bond uh, with after was it the Brothers Grimm he did with Matt Damon yeah. and Terry Gilliam directed yeah. that and obviously Terry Gilliam was directing the Doctor, uh, the Imaginary of Doctor Parnassus and uh, there's a quote that says Terry Gilliam to Heath Ledger was pretty much like Tim Burton was to Johnny Depp. Like he had a wonderful relationship with Terry Gilliam. Yeah, well, I think I told you that Terry Gilliam, when I went on the set of Parnassus, said to me when I interviewed him, this was a couple of nights before Ledger died, he said. He said, not only is he the best actor I've ever worked with, but he's literally telling me what to do. He's pointing out shots to me. And he said, I know he's going to be a director and he's going to be a better director than I am, Mm. which is just a really sad thing because that was... Well, those scenes to camera, the home video scenes that the Joker films in there, where he's like, look what you've made me do. It's... um, 
he directed those. Christopher Nolan was there for the first one, and then after he saw Heath Ledger directing, he was like, don't need to be here for the rest. Yeah. See ya. Um, we've got to talk about the only line that I really don't like in this film, and I remember thinking it when I first saw it, and I remember thinking it again when I watched it the other day, is where they're in the police chase and the helicopter gets caught in all the wires and the passenger next to Gary Oldman, who we don't know is Gary Oldman at that point, in the van, he sees the helicopter hit the wires and he goes, that's not good. Yeah. And then it crashes. He goes, that's really not good. And you're like, yeah. there are people in that, your workmates who are dying. I'm not sure if that's not good. That's like yeah. if your cake hasn't risen in the oven. Oh, that's not good. <laughs> that's like right. saying some days you just can't get rid of a bomb. Sorry. <laughs> <clears throat> anyway, anyway. <laughs> you got to do another film. <laughs> yeah, come on. Come on. Uh, so, uh, the final movie we're talking about has just been released. It's in cinemas now. If you haven't seen it, we are going to talk about it as spoiler-free as we possibly can, which is going to be spoiler-free, but Joker. People are starting to notice. Think this is funny? Uh, Murray, one small thing. Yeah. When you bring me out, can you introduce me as Joker? What a fucking movie. Mm. The three of us have seen it. I walked out and immediately was engaged in what has now become the topic of conversation when anyone talks about Joker is how divisive it is as a film. And genuinely, I experienced this firsthand. I walked out of the cinema and I was with a friend and he went, oh, the hell was that? That was so bleak. I don't even know what that was about. What the hell? And I was like, what? I loved it. I walked out of that cinema feeling elated. Is it a, is it because it's about a bloke who's pursuing a career in stand-up comedy, segues into TV and then ends up killing lots of people? Do you see something of yourself in this story? Two out of three, but yeah, that's close. That's Which close. Two? <laughs> it's very important. <laughs> it's the Alex Zane story. Um, has anyone got like a panic alarm? <laughs> There's darkness in it, but he is a character you are meant to empathise with. Yeah. And so when what happens at the end of the film happens, it's very difficult to then segue from this massive amount of empathy and caring about this person. It's a difficult, sharp right to make at that point in the film. Yes. I mean, you know what I'm like? If anyone's going to be like, oh, he's, like, he's a fucking like, lightning rod for arseholes because white heterosexual men have really got a tough time and I can only imagine what it's like to be humiliated and rejected at every turn. But I didn't feel like that. I was watching, I was watching a character study, so I didn't feel like... The, the furore around what people think it's trying to say, I don't see it. I, I think what happened was I read a lot of articles um, written by people who hadn't seen the fucking movie, which already Painful. infuriated me. And yeah. so I sort of approached it quite angry that I was reading this. And I didn't walk out of the <clears> cinema <throat> thinking I f that makes me feel threatened in any way or worried about how it would be used. If people, if awful people want to use a film as their like rallying cry that's on them like they're just dreadful people right 
Because what ultimately, what is the argument here? The argument is what? That the Joker, that Joker should not have been made because that's that's what it boils down to. We're saying, yeah, which is ridiculous, right? Yeah, it's like we're saying that certain art cannot exist in the world because of the effect it might have on people who were yeah, already fucking awful. Hundred percent, right, not now. <laughs> yeah. I don't, but I, I, I don't, I do. I've got no problem with it being made. Just my coming out of it. My question is, why is this getting made right now? Is this the film? Is this the story we need to be? To uh, you know this this. This anti-hero is he? This is his the story we need to hear right now. So it's funny, isn't it? Because I didn't. I've read. I've only read like good reviews, and I've read a few articles that are like, you know, another story about a straight white man and how hard it is for him and all the rest of it. And it's like I don't. I don't know. It just doesn't hit with me. Like I, I saw a film about a comic book villain for a fucking start. So can we all just remember that it's not like it isn't actually Taxi Driver where an you know an ordinary person whatever. But um, but. but- the weird thing is, and I, it's it's my film of the year. I think it's a fucking masterpiece. It's a grease paint smeared Sistine Chapel of a movie, and I loved it. But to answer your point, the minute you make it hmm. a Joker movie yeah. is the minute you're appealing to a giant fan base, and you've made a very dark movie, but you've called it Joker, and I'm sitting here holding a tiny stuffed Joker toy as I say this. <laughs> There are people who are going to walk into this movie and go, oh, my God, it's a comic book movie, and walk out and go, what the fuck did I just <laughs> see? I mean, I, as you say, I don't know why this needed to be a DC story, mm. and I don't know if it might have been a more interesting film if it hadn't had to sort of connect with DC as it does very specifically towards the end of the film. And a, film that, a movie it made me think of was Nightcrawler, mm. which I think tells a similar story, yeah. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, without yeah. all this baggage. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and I found that a little bit more interesting. And I've got a quote from Todd Phillips here about the why they did a comic book movie. He said, I literally described to, to Joaquin at one point in those three months as like, look at this as a way to sneak a real movie in the studio system under the guise of a comic book film. Now, I think that's quite a condescending thing to say about comic book films, saying this is a real film, not a comic book film. Mm. Uh, And then he adds, we didn't make this movie to push buttons. Now, I don't buy that. I think they did. I think they saw an opportunity with some of the the subjects they target in the film. I think some of the, the stuff they've said since then, I feel like they're pushing buttons. And one thing that bothered me in the film when you're talking about button pushing, is the use of that Gary Glitter song. Yes. Towards the end of the film, when he's dancing down the steps, they use Rock and Roll by Gary Glitter. Yeah. Now, they know what that, you know, no, they're not dumb. They know what Gary Glitter represents. Sure. Yeah. Who, who thought... that money is going to. And I feel like, and I've, I'm i guessing they're pissed off that that hasn't actually caused a great furore yet. Yeah, I, when he's dancing down the steps to that song, <laughs> they're taking I, the piss I'm a so bit. naive. Wow. I was like, they just can't know because, no, we don't use his music anymore. That's something that we've all agreed on. And it's a brilliant riff. And then you can't deny Mm. that, but there are lots of good riffs out there for that moment. And I just, I was so caught up in the, I was mesmerised by this performance that I didn't have the brain space to be like, is this all right? Is this all right? Is this all right? And then I walk out of it and I think, well, I, I thought it was brilliant. And that's it. That's as far as my, I haven't thought about these wider issues. If someone who hates women wants to use it to do something awful, they were going to do that with with or without this film. I mean, we're here to talk about which of these films did the Joker best. So, so um, in terms of you know, we we just talked about the fact we love the ambiguity in the Dark Knight. This obviously explains almost over explains. We we we're told everything that's gone into turning him into this character. How did you feel about being told everything and nothing really being left to your imagination? It's interesting because I I I I was like 
I love Heath Ledger as the Joker because he's an enigma. And in this, you go, wow, we've got a backstory. Arthur Fleck, uh, this original character they've created uh, to become the Joker, uh, it's like it gives him a backstory. It sort of tries to explain like why he becomes Joker and all of this. And you think at the end, you're like, so there's an origin story there. But the truth is, he's an unreliable narrator. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. it, you don't know yeah. half of what is true and half of what is his viewpoint on stuff. I uh, feel like he is until they, at the point where they show you what he's made up, what's in his head, which I felt like there could be more ambiguity in terms of his relationship with that, with that woman. Mm. And I, I was thinking, yeah, this is all made up. This is all in his head. But then when they showed me those scenes, I was kind of mm-hmm. gutted because then I felt like from that point on, you know what's real and you know what isn't. It's weird. I was in the cinema uh, watching this and I had that terrifying moment where I was the only person laughing <laughs> on my like and I'm like shit. I didn't want to I started to laugh at some bits and no one else was laughing, not even you. <laughs> And so I, was like, I was like, oh, fuck. Yeah, it was like, oh, yeah. But then it did happen throughout the crowd. So there was what? Do you remember there was one man who was pissing himself, and mm. no one else was like, <laughs> that, was, that was me. <laughs> but it's that weird thing. So when he's in the comedy club watching the set, and like he laughs at all the bits that aren't funny. Yeah. Um, Alex, did you speak to Joaquin Phoenix about this film? And if so, what did he say? Uh, Joaquin Phoenix. So I sat down with Joaquin Phoenix and. Um, As I said earlier, I was absolutely terrified because when a movie means a hell of a lot to you, and I genuinely, it's my film of the year, as I've said multiple times, I came out and I was like in love with this film. And when that happens, I don't want to meet the people behind it. I don't want to sit down with Todd Phillips. I don't want to sit down with Joaquin Phoenix because if anything goes wrong, then I lose that movie forever. (laughs) So I didn't want to meet them, and I did because I have to do my job. And um, so I, like... At Wacking Phoenix, uh, I think uh, apparently he thought we were a, a, a news outlet. Uh, he got into his head we were a news outlet and we were going to do a bit of like talk about all the sort of like the uh, the hot potatoes of this movie, like the gun violence and stuff. And like, and so I, I was prepped for that. They, I'd been spoken to before. They, they, I'd been told like, if he's a bit weird, it's because of this. And I'm like, cool, 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 cool. All right, already nervous. Now doubly nervous. Thanks. And then he sits down. And so I say, uh, so, hi, Joaquin. Um, so this is uh, an interview. Uh, it's just just about the movie. Just about the movie. And he's like, uh-huh. I'm like, cool. Uh, it's 15 minutes long. And he goes, we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh, this is going to be awful. <laughs> and actually, it wasn't. And mm. he's very intense. He's very uh, intense, isn't he? Yep, yep. So intense. Yep. But also, like, really lovely. Like, it's... You meet some people and you go, you know, like you're doing this because you're like playing up to like this idea of how you want to be perceived and like you're being difficult and it's unnecessary. And he's not. Mm. He's thoughtful and he's measured. And he, you know, I think especially with a movie like this, he takes a beat before answering every question because he has to be careful. Because if he wants that Oscar. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, it's that thing. You say one thing that like... Mm like can be taken out of context and that's suddenly the headline and you're like, well, that's not what he was saying. Yeah. But he was absolutely fantastic. He talked about the the craft of making the movie and his love for Todd Phillips. And, you know, the one weird thing he did say, he was, I was like, had you had any experience with the Joker character, you know, before this? And he went, I will tell you this. Uh, when I, my friends and I, in my hometown, we uh, all went our separate ways, but we promised we'd all come back one day and form a superhero vigilante group <laughs> in our hometown. And I'm like, uh-huh. And he's like, and they did it. And, I mean, I haven't gone back and done that. I'm like, 
right? And he, then he sort of goes, <laughs> okay. Then he goes, then he goes, I really shouldn't talk about this. And I, I made a joke. I was like, yeah, because they're superheroes. And he's like, yeah, but I can't talk about it. Wow. And I'm like... The fuck? Is that going to stay in the edit? Uh, it is in the edit. Awesome. Yeah. I want to see this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Check it out. Sky Cinema On Demand. Yeah. Stop. <laughs> He's allowed to do that. Have you been waiting like 10 weeks? <laughs> Are we done now? I'm kind of a big deal. <laughs> yeah. He's it, uh, not. Yeah. <laughs> in his head he is. Yeah. Are we um are we getting near the end? Yes. Yeah, <laughs> so those are the three Joker performances we've talked about, uh, at least in some roundabout way, I guess. Uh, Jack Nicholson versus Heath Ledger versus Joaquin Phoenix. Who is the best on-screen Joker? Can I jump in? Yeah. I have a little thing to do. Um, a new thing that I'm going to thrust upon you. Please. Jesus. We can, please, we can, let, please let it be a wrap. We can, <laughs> I've got a little quiz for you two. Oh. It's a very little thing, but I put a oh, lot right, of work right, into right, this. Right, right, right. Let's do a so, but it's slightly spoilery, so if, we, if we're keeping it in this point, scrub through two minutes. If not, enjoy. Um, so, Bruce Wayne's parents get killed yes. in <clears throat> Batman, in The Dark Knight, in Batman v Superman, and in Joker. Yes. Now, do you know what they were watching in each of those beforehand? I have one, two, three, four, five. I have six titles because in two of them, there's actually two films on the on the board behind them i'll but, take this i'll take this well she know um well, you get take in turns so you, you do one is no i don't know oh none of them wait i think i actually know oh my god i think i actually I know, think you know, you yeah, yeah, know. Yeah. police academy four no. citizens on patrol <laughs> i thought you guys were gonna get these because you just watched the films <laughs> <laughs> you just watched the films <laughs> You don't know any what of them. Was it Police Academy 5, Assignment Miami Beach? You don't know any of them. <laughs> you don't know any of them. Um, one of them, the, the Dark Knight, they'd been to the opera. And they'd seen... Oh! Um, oh, was it uh, uh, The Book of Mormon? <laughs> In The Dark Knight, it's a Faust opera. Is and it? it's, it's Mephistophele. Mephistopheles. So, no, Mephistophele. <laughs> no, you got it wrong. You got it wrong. Mephistophele. Are you sure? Yes. Right. <laughs> Not that version. Um, okay. Okay. This is a section we don't have to do again. <laughs> no, hey, wait, wait, hey. it was worth a try. Is this how you expected it to go? <laughs> so, time to vote then. Here is the verdict. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth! So, who wants to go first? I'm going to look to myself. Well, yeah, I ain't going first. Yeah, it's me. This has been really hard for me. Uh, Jack Nicholson is not my favourite Joker. So it is between Heath Ledger and Joaquin Phoenix. And I thought long and hard, and I love both the performances. And as I've said, Joker, and this is like the sixth time I've said it, so it's boring now, but it's my film of the year. But I think Joaquin Phoenix is incredible in it. It really like had an impact on me as a film more than The Dark Knight did in terms of how I came out feeling after watching it. That said, I need the Joker to be fun. Uh, he's a fun character to me. And I, as much as I love Joker and as much as I love Joaquin's performance, Heath Ledger is still my favourite on-screen Joker. So it's Heath Ledger. I agree with everything else. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. Um, I can talk. At, I can repeat what Alex just said. When I saw Joaquin Phoenix, I was like, I, thinking about the podcast, I was like, it's got to be that because 
the way the, like the way he moves. So he's right on the edge between like grace and lunacy, and that is like makes you that is chilling, um, and that's an incredible thing to be able to do. And I expect to be scared when I go and see the Joker, which is why Jack Nicholson is not my favorite Joker because it's an iconic performance, but it's not it's fun, but it's not scary, and that's what I expect. And then when I was watching The Dark Knight, I was like, I don't think, you know, I think I'm still going to pick Joaquin Phoenix because it was just so incredible. But the unpredictability of what Heath Ledger is able to do because he's not weighed down by this backstory and because this, and again, it's a weird thing, but the size thing, I always come back to like the thought of that hurricane blowing into the room, I find really scary. And so it has to be Heath Ledger because he's more scary. Is he that big? He is. I'm going to show really you. A... By that. Is the aspect ratio on your TV right? <laughs> yeah, we just got a really cheap telly. <laughs> Look at the size of him. Yeah. I'm surprised that you didn't go with Joker. I'm kind of gutted. You spent two weeks telling me Joker, Joker. But he's more of a man, isn't he? Like, I was scared of Joaquin Phoenix, but in the way I'm scared of lots of men. <laughs> Why are you looking at me when you said that? <laughs> For loads of reasons. Um. All right. Well, that's the result. But I might... What are you going for then? I'm interested to know. Well, I like I, Wait, can we guess? Vicky, what are you thinking he's going to go for? Jack Nicholson. Yeah, I do too. All right. Well, I like the difference between the three Jokers. I like you've got the gangster Joker in Batman. I think he's the funny one. I like you've got the terrorist Joker in Dark Knight. He's the scary one. And I like that you've got the anarchist Joker in Joker. And he's the one that's good at dancing. Mm-hmm. But I, 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 I think my decision is going to come down to this thing that really annoys me in Hollywood. That Hollywood just can't help itself. When you've got a great villain that's got slightly ambiguous origins or its history hasn't been explained, it's so much more interesting than going into that history. And they've, I think of the best villains in history. You've got Joker, Darth Vader, Hannibal Lecter, Norman Bates. And Hollywood can't help itself. It's done backstories for all those characters that have made them less interesting. <laughs> yeah. Um, as you said, this Joker arrives uh, fully formed. Think... Sorry, which one are we talking about here? Uh, sorry, I'm talking about Heath Ledger. Right. Um, I love the fact he's not motivated by money or power or revenge. He's, he's truly unique. It makes him terrifying. Um, and f- with these other films telling that backstory, I think it diminishes his power. So I think, I think Heath Ledger is the most powerful Joker and therefore the best one. Three for three, Heath Ledger. So there you have it. On this episode of Clash Pod, we have a winner, and the winner is Heath Ledger. He gives the greatest on-screen performance as the Joker, as far as we're concerned. Let's not blow this out of proportion. You may disagree, and once you've seen Joker, if you haven't already, we'd love to hear from you. The details are, as always, Chris? Oh, at Clash Pod. Twitter. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> if you must. So it's just someone else you would rather be. And what is the other one? It is... Show at ClashPod.com. Okay. The email is show at ClashPod.com. We're on Twitter at ClashPod. We'd love to hear from you. <laughs> oh, do they really have to get in touch with us? I mean, then I might have to That's read it. That's how this works. <laughs> Otherwise, we might as well just be in the pub more. Which I'm not opposed to. <laughs> oh, yeah, we'd love to hear from you. Right, so next week's show is my choices. And the two movies that I am going for next week are... Shaun of the Dead okay. <laughs> versus Zombieland. Brilliant, OK. I'm giving Shaun of the Dead to Chris and Zombieland to Vicky. All right. Oh, really? Didn't like that. <laughs> yeah, no, that's smart, because I'm in Shaun of the Dead. Right, exactly. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> Just my hand. 
Just your hands. Yeah, but we can talk about that next week. (laughs) So that'll be next week's show. Thank you again for listening. And as always, if you would like to subscribe to us, we would be more than happy on Apple or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening, guys. We'll be back in a week. Bye-bye. This was a Stakhanov production.